Welcome back to The Power of Hindsight with Mark Abraham. In this episode, Mark sits down with Leonard Sekionda to discuss what it's like being an entrepreneur at 28 and the challenges of modern lifestyle. Right, so another episode of um, The Power of Hindsight. Really excited for, for today's guest, Leonard Sekionda. Um, me and Leonard only known each other about a week, yeah. um, but we had, a, we had a networking breakfast on Monday. I've read your book, The Goal, Get Inside, or the Goal Setting Guide to Unlocking You, Become Your Own Hero Again. Read it over the weekend. Thought it was a really amazing book, Leonard. Thank you. Um, so actionable. You know, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't too long. The, the chapters, each one, you, you could action something after to make it. Yeah. pretty much a positive change straight away. I know I've been through kind of my own journey recently, which we might touch on um, throughout it, but it'd be great for context just for the listeners. And you can go as far back as you feel is necessary, mm-hmm. but just kind of bringing people back up to who you are today and kind of where that started. Uh, so today, um an entrepreneur, author, uh, speaker, life coach, um, and I'd say an internet personality. Uh, my journey starts as far back as 10 years ago, I'm now 29, um, and my initial step into the business world was one which was quite un- unconventional because it stemmed from me taking an alternative route as opposed to the more conformed uh, structure that kind of life presents because I decided not to continue on to higher education. Uh, so I didn't go to university, which at the time, before Instagram and all these examples of success stories and, you know, all of these uh, uh, success entrepreneurs um, were revealed at the time was really seen as, as quite a bold, uh, risky move, um, both to family, both to friends. So it was a very uh, de- deciding I'd say it was a very testing decision because I wasn't even sure if it was the right one. I was only literally following my gut. Um, but it, for me, it felt natural because what I know about the relationship between myself, which has been consistent, is I struggled to 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 beat myself up. And in that situation, for me, where I had um, been getting low-level grades, um, it was affecting me, um, especially in, a, in the social group of your friends doing better or in the situation of um, me being, I don't know, like just in a space where I didn't know why I was getting these results. I mean, I was playing Monopoly with the same friends. I was, you know, uh, having the same lunch as them, but getting lower. And when you're at that age and the only uh, answer to your result is the result, you kind of affects your psyche. So for me, carrying it on... Um, would only, I feel, negate my psych, my, my, my psychology of my capabilities. So I literally did it as a place to maintain any bit of pride or com- confidence I had left. So that was one of the key factors for me taking the route of going into property. But one of the most instrumental parts for me was reading a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which mm-hmm. I ma- managed to read through the part-time job I was um, working for at the time, which was Vauxhall. Uh, a lady really noticed I was quite, you know, ambitious, enthusiastic, and realistically speaking, she noticed that I was very um, passionate about growing uh, in any way. And she she referred me to read this book, and it was the first book that I read, which kind of spoke to me in a different context outside of what was actually happening in my reality, and it gave me an alternative perspective, which I think nowadays there there is. But at the time, you know, in school they weren't talking about being an investor, they weren't talking about being in real estate, they wasn't talking about being self-employed or 
you know, just the different quadrums that were yeah. available. So that that kind of alleviated the, the fear of like my only hope being graduating. So when I had that book kind of strapped to me, it led me to adventuring into, into the property market, which at the time uh, was in the middle of the recession, but through the book, which I had read, um, at the time, I was kind of confident in it because it kind of talked about the biggest money being made in the recession. So it was almost like jumping in when you know there's sharks, but the book had warned you there's sharks there and that's the best time to swim. So yeah. I was always kind of biblical to the book, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, and that led me to working for an estate agency at a young age of 18. Um, I didn't get to work in Lens um, because the sales market was so bad. Um, and it was hard because I was going into this place with no experience, the markets are down. I didn't have real money, so I had to borrow a suit for the interview. Um, but the key thing for me at the time was just making sure that I made the right decision. And that meant for me to follow through on going back to back to back to interviews, even though estate agencies were like, hang on, it's a recession, you're 18, um, you have no experience, we are not hiring someone on that level. And I think by chance, one of the companies that I went to who actually... Um, it was quite interesting. I never really said this story, but I actually got the interview through a recruitment company. So um, when I was actually at the interview, I'd been so tired with all the no's. I literally said to the owner, I was like, listen, I'll work for free. I just want to get in and then I'll prove myself from there. And I remember the next day, he didn't actually call me back. And I was like, what's going on? He smiled at me in a certain way. And I thought, there's no way this guy, this company didn't want to hire me. So I waited day two, still didn't get a call. Day three, still didn't get a call. And then I thought, no, there's something wrong. So I actually called them and was like, hey, what, what, what did I do wrong in that interview? And the guy was like, actually, can you come in? Because um, you came for a recruitment company and I like you, but I, I can't actually legally call you. So, <laughs> so if, you call, if you call us, it kind of skips the contract. So I ended up getting the job by calling them and they paid me as well. So that just was a, uh, to me, it was also a reinforcement of action, creating opportunity um, and not just trusting or, or believing in outcome, but also following through in it. So that led me to going into property, which I did really well in because I found a, a hole in the market, which was that the properties we were renting at the time were only like 12 month contracts. But because the recession was there, I kind of thought over one of the morning thinking patterns I had in the morning, I thought about you know increasing the rental time to two to three years so that the landlords could actually you know, survive the recession, two, three years. So I did a few tests and I got a few landlords to say yes. And that basically tripled my commission because you get a percentage of how much you make based on how long the contract is. And then I started breaking the records. I showed the other people how to do it. I then went on to demand the promotion. That promotion didn't get met. And then I turned around and um, uh, went on to, you know, make my own one because I just felt like they were limiting me. Um, and I wanted to kind of, you know, I was saving money. I was living with my mum, working on Saturdays. Very, very rarely really kind of had social time at that at that time because my friends were all in Portsmouth or Bath or, you know, whatever university they had gone to. So no, none of my friend circle or immediate friend circle was really around. Um, so I just indulged myself in it and set the estate agents up and that went really well. Then I went on to get high-end properties um, because I wanted to be around properties that I aspired to have one day. I read a book, uh, Get Rich, uh, Think Rich, Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And I just used to cold call landlords, pretending I have tenants for them just to go and see it because I can view it. Um, and then by default, get the properties on. I got the properties on. And then I started getting calls from large companies from around the world, from Goldman Sachs to Air France, Nestle. And they wanted me to relocate their staff from the company into the properties. So my whole business model just adjusted, literally right. like over a period of 
three weeks because I realized I didn't have to do viewings anymore. And they'd pay me to find things like, you know, a nursery or a GP or anything locally. So I was charging them literally for a service which I could do from sitting down and I could get the other team members to do the same. And that just led me to really, you know, realizing that money can be made in so many different ways. I was used to the hardware, which was do a viewing, number ratio, do the viewings, yeah. you know, show someone around. Out of 10 people, one person says, yes, you know, I was used to that ratio. So that was the first time I'm getting paid where they're coming to me like, have you got any more? And this is what we can spend. And I'm basically doing the legwork for them as if I'm their agent. So that was great. Um, just in the business realization of how you can get paid upfront without having to do the work first. Um, and then I went on to transition the business um, because I wanted to get these properties um, to be, essentially I wanted them to be uh, accessible to companies in Asia. So I managed to hire two interns. One was Filipino, one was um, Chinese. And I always go between it was either Chinese or Japanese, and I don't want to offend, but it was one of the two. And their job was to put uh, bulletins on the blogs in the Philippines and China about the properties and services we have. Uh, by chance, one of the, the Japanese or the Chinese guy, he basically was talking really bad about me. The Filipino staff member came to me one, one day and said, listen, that guy says that you don't know what you're doing. So I ended up sacking him. And then I ended up having, building a bit more better relationship with the Filipino staff. And he went on to tell me that in the daytime, because they were working quiet legal hours, they were working at like eight in the evening and finishing like four in the night because they're working Asian uh, time. Uh, and um, he ended up telling me that the agency that he's working with that brought him to the UK, they needed more nurses. Uh, they needed more place to place the nurses in the Philippines. From the Philippines, they needed hospitals and they needed uh, nursing homes. And that led me to literally getting on the phone with them via Skype, as mentioned in the book, and um, getting a contract which enabled me to, which I basically flew over there at 19, got this contract with this agency and literally overnight kind of made this uh, made this recruitment, international recruitment business, which recruited nurses from the Philippines to the UK. And that went on to me meeting politicians out there, that went on to me meeting and, you know, just being part of this wild adventure um, in this country, which, you know, looking at the internet now, I mean, was pretty dangerous, according to the warning, risk warnings, which I didn't look at, clearly. Um, but for me, I was young, naive and hungry. And that just led to an episode of me really, you know, taking self-help and mindset really serious because it's what I used to fuel me during the, the uncertainty of being out there. At the end of the day, I was 1920 in a foreign country and not sure if I was secure or not. So I had to read and stay positive by the things that was out there on the internet or whether it was documentaries. And people began, I, I used to YouTube it, so people became, became quite uh, involved in my journey because I'd yeah. share every single week while I was there. And the main question that used to come a lot of the time was, where do you, what are you reading? What, what, where you learn this confidence? And I started to share some of the books and things like that. And then I came back to London and then started my come up with uh, Deji, which was a blog initially, which was just about sharing the same thing, the books and the things I was talking about. And then we started to work on videos called Words of Wisdoms, which basically broke down the best advice from, the, from entrepreneurs, like the ones I was watching while I was away, just the best bits from their you know, various interviews. And then that led to them going viral on YouTube and the likes of people like P. Diddy and 50 Cent seeing them and shouting us out. That got us crazy views. Right. Blogs started writing about us. We was on Business Weekly and all these other sites. Um, and then, you know, I realized that we had actually created a market for a demographic, I think, which wasn't yet represented because they were still 
not exactly actualized entrepreneurs and they weren't business people, but they were dreamers, they were willing to work and they were hungry. So in me seeing that, I realized that this is a chance to really turn this into a, a business and not to depend just on selling, you know, ads to brands yeah. on a blog. So that led me to raising capital. I mean, I had, luckily I had a flatmate that worked for a bank and he helped me to put the business plan together, raise some money for it. And then in the first week we had over 10,000 users. And since then it's grown. We've got over 127,000 users. And our mission has, has changed as time has gone on. I mean, our mission initially was to kind of really help people to connect with investors. But I think we were still very premature in our technology in the sense of understanding the level in which our users are at. Um, and I think we were still really defining what they were and who they were and how we could really help them. And over the past year or so, we've been playing with the concept of matching them through content, continuing to interview people and give them context to people's stories. But now it's really about taking the, um, the awareness that we have and bringing it to another level. So for 2020, what we're introducing uh, is our goal is to revolutionize the recruitment process for freelancers. Um, and startups as well as influencers. So uh, using the, 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 the database that's there or for these freelancers that have talent and helping them to, to basically um, profile themselves through video, um, okay. selling their characteristic. Um, and that's quite exciting because I think it really re reinforces kind of the way I work with people that have worked with me. I'm very big on people that DM me directly and kind of cut the formalities of a CV and things like that. So I think now there's a new integral part of business and that is digital social media. And that includes a lot of things like, you know, videography, sound, editing, and these things may have been overlooked before, but now more than ever because of the platforms available and the mass marketing they provide, they're integral parts. So me having these, this demographic, which at the time, as I said, we didn't have a label for it, um, was, was, was great. It's been great to see how we can really help them now. And I think that's going to be great for not only them, but also it's going to be great for employers that want to access this young pool of talent that really have the ability to do you know, anything from social media management, photography, yeah. videography, editing, and being that middle merger um, in a way which I feel is millennial because it's going to be all through video. Um, I think that's going to definitely sh shift that. And while this was you know, happening last, well, this, sorry, this year, I released a book. I started the book last year. And the book was really about me kind of giving my principles because one of my core uh, methods throughout my guideline to all of this has always been goals and affirmations. And what I felt a lot of the time is that people never really um, understood the science to it. So I didn't want to make something that was like spiritual and just like, yeah. you know, believe and achieve. I wanted to really show methods that I really use. Um, and what I do in the book, it's not my biography. It's more of an anecdote of me giving a piece of some of my stories and also giving methods which people can apply, which I think really when you get to a space of being comfortable with who you are and you start to apply these practices, even just emotionally, they start to do well for you because they cover things like writing your first day and how to write short-term and long-term goals and creating affirmations. And for me, I think that's a very big thing for this generation because there's so much information and there's so much, you know, external pressures and biases and, you know, our psychology, our, our psyche is being constantly marketed to, to feel less. So for me, the goal of the book is to make people feel more about themselves and to really start to adventure where they're really at and what they really want and see themselves in a positive light as opposed to a light which they need something. Yeah. Um, and that's been great. I think... So 
that's kind of a point I wanted to get to next because you've obviously hit a huge level of success at a relatively young age. You're 29. You're 29. It's just, you know, under 30 and you're probably inspiring a lot of younger people to, to be successful. But and maybe social media can be seen in a great sense, but it can also be seen in a bit of a dim light, too. And I feel a lot of and the reason I really wanted to get this conversation with you is because I feel a lot of people are just lost in general. Mm-hmm. They see posts, they see, as you said before, you never, you didn't have the the, the entrepreneurs on Instagram before when you started mm-hmm. out, but mm-hmm. now it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're not an entrepreneur, it's kind of like, what are you doing? Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's a, there's a, there's a pro and con to it. One, some people aren't made to be entrepreneurial yes. and it's really tough and they genuinely, they should not be an entrepreneur. And I think that needs to be shone a light on too. But someone who's, who, who's a bit lost, they're kind of going through life. It's a bit mundane. They might, they might not have hit a low point, which is in the book. And something I went through recently is when you hit a low point, you really have to change everything. Mm-hmm. If we go to that low point, after you've hit a low point from your book, and I love the book, what, what are your next few steps? I mean, the first thing about social media and the thing to understand about it, I think people have made it a cognitive part of their way of living and forgot that it's really a choice. Right. And um, before hitting rock bottom, there is a choice to understanding that it will get there. You know, if you're not feeling good, if you're not feeling comfortable with yourself and you're still putting yourself in the pit of um, comparisons and uh, lowering your self-esteem with people feeling looking like they feel happier or doing more, then you will consequently, whether it be a month from then, whether it be two months from then, whether it be a year from then, it will have effect on your psyche. So one of the first actions I feel, which is um, imperative to anybody that's in that state, almost in that state, is to learn to recondition your mind and disconnect from the social media. It's always going to be there. Um, Once you begin to disconnect with your social media, then you're going to be able to, you know, really start to fill your senses again. You're going to learn how to cognitively deal with your with your board your board elements you know it's like um they say when somebody smokes cigarettes and they stop they still have the 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 gesture Mm -hmm. in their hand as as if there's a cigarette there or they may you know pull things back i didn't see and that's because we have a memory um you know a neural memory and it takes a while for that pattern to be broken so in order for us to create a new pattern we have to break it and by disconnecting and and being in a space where you have to figure out what to do outside of that gap, you begin to break it. And then you can create new belief systems in that, which are geared towards things like goals or geared towards being more proactive and creating alternative forms of happiness. Because I think a lot of the time we're also confused as to what we feel as happiness. Is awareness happy? Does being aware make you more happy? Does being aware of what your friend George has done today, does it make you more happy? Does being aware of the latest thing that somebody bought, does it actually make you more happy? So it's also about really, really understanding the, the cause and effect and the means of what social media really is to represent. And it's a market space, right? And when you take away the element of the word social media and you really look at it as a market space, would you be on anycar.com all day? <laughs> you know, would you be on the uh, compare the market? Would you be on any market space or eBay for the full day? Uh, because essentially you'll end up buying something. Right, because even if you're not looking and you're there the whole day, you'll see, oh, that was, that's a deal. And that's how social media is. At some point, you'll buy into an ideology that, that is separate from yourself and make you believe that you need it. So, you know, you might turn around and say, I need to go to Spain now because I saw them go to Spain. Oh, I, need yeah. to, I need to get that car because I need, and, and if you can't do that, that's even worse because then you're going to 
question yourself and submit. And that's the, the worst form of social media, when you submit to the concept of things you, as if you can't get them anymore and you can only feel them by appreciating the fact that someone else has them um, and idolize it because we can't tell what's happening. Even the person that has the thing, many cases I deal with, um, I talk and coach a lot of successful people um, that on paper, on social media, are living the best of lives. Um, but in reality, deal with issues which social media, even if they tried to, wouldn't be able to reveal. I mean, I'm sure social media would take it down if they, if they shared it. Yeah. You know, so it's all about understanding the perception of a market space. It's only designed to make you want more. It's a perception. And the freedom to disconnect of it, the t- to disconnect is a choice, but it's one you have to be, somebody mentioned me the other day about whether these things are like a fight. And it's, you have to be aggressive, yeah. right? Because, you know, it's, it's better to wonder what you do without it than to try and see what happens if you stay and the effects of what it could do in the long run, because... So let's say you've disconnected from social media, you've taken yeah. a step back. Mm-hmm. What is the, what's the next step to get back on? So, so I'm very goal-oriented okay. um, because I feel like goals are like direction. They lack like a direction. Um, they create... Um, th- goals are not... And this is the thing, and this is the problem with the word, is it's so... You know, the word is just used every day. And I think people use goals like an agenda that needs to be met. I see goals as a navigation point, you know, to get from point A to point B, you have to know where you want to end. But on the way to there, you might pass different areas. You might have to deal with different terrain. You might have to deal with different, um, you know, you might even have to change the car. But the reality is, is you know the final destination but you're not putting the pressure of it being having to be achieved and the only lesson in, and the only experience in that goal is it being achieved, but the experience itself is the experience of getting it. So my thing is really about creating meaningful, meaningful goals, uh, which I talk about in the book, which basically help you break down your short-term and your long-term goals, but from a place of them really being aligned with your, with your passions, not financial, you know, goals that improve your family life, mm-hmm. goals that improve your health life, goals that improve your spirituality, goals that improve your financial and goals that put you in a place of uh, enjoying the life that the world presents to us. So it's not just the cylinders of, you know, the thing you saw on Instagram, the training you want to buy, it's goals on really the stuff that we could do, but we choose not to. You know, we all could go for a run in the morning, but we choose not to, and it's free. So once you have the goal in mind, you can then start to understand where you're falling short because you know that was the goal but I didn't do it this week or I didn't do I didn't do it at all you know and when you start to have the destination you can start to evaluate how you treat the experience in between it and you can be honest with realizing why you don't have it because if I'm trying to be healthier but I'm eating a and b and I'm not running out and I'm not working out but because I say it um and no one else saw it then it's not really real but the second you write something down you kind of have some form of uh, cognitive connection and commitment to it because to write is still an act. Um, so I'm really big on, you know, pen and paper relationships and, you know, having that moment. So yeah, I'm definitely, I definitely feel once you get to a space where you do have clear thought, it's a, it's, and, and this is a sad thing with this generation. I think people are really uncomfortable with, you know, really thinking. Yeah. You know, um, well, I, I said to you earlier, so, um, when I hit a, like a little bit of a, a a bump in the road or a moment where I felt right, maybe, maybe I need to look at myself. The first thing was just accepting that, you know, everything is my decision. So mm-hmm. it's my actions. So like what goes wrong in my life, I need to own it. Mm-hmm. And I then started cognitive behavioral therapy. 
mm-hmm. which I think from from men, especially young males, like, and and I we I talked about it earlier is like, young girls grow up with their you know their sisters, their friends, their mum. They're allowed to be emotional. Mm-hmm. They're allowed to speak about their feelings. Whereas men, you know, we grow up watching Batman, Superman, Hugh Hefner, James Bond. You know, your dad. It's alpha male. You put food on the table. You're not really supposed to show your emotions as yeah. a man. You know, you're supposed to be strong. Whereas we have the same mind as, you know, as any course, human, yeah. you know what I mean? And for me doing CBT, and I, I don't even know if therapy is a stigma, but for me, it was literally just getting my thoughts out, out on a piece yeah, of paper. Exactly. So the first thing I did was understand like what my, my core values were, mm-hmm. because if you don't know who you are, or why you're doing something, how can you, how can you get up the next day and do right, it? Yeah. So I was doing actions that weren't aligned to my actual life goals or values because I didn't know what they were. Yeah. So until I spoke to this person and kind of got them out in front of me, I couldn't I couldn't actually be me because I didn't yeah. know who me was. Mm-hmm. And I think a point I wanted, would love for you, for you to go into is like social acceptance mm-hmm. and product of your environment. So one of the biggest s- negatives of my life was surrounding myself with people who, and I, I used a quote in the last podcast, is like, I'm not who I think I am. I'm not who you think I am. I think who I think you think I am. That's interesting. So I basically live my life based on what I think you think I should live. Mm-hmm. So I act up, I act different. I act like a cool guy, I mm-hmm. party loads because I think you like me better that way, mm-hmm. even if it's not me. Mm-hmm. And I think so many people I know get into that trap of living not their true life mm-hmm. because they feel they need to be accepted, whether it be likes on social media or just being accepted, we have a human need for it. And I think it's that product of your environment. Is there is, is it is it just being cutthroat and saying, right, these people aren't the right people for me? Or is there is there ways of um well there's two parts. There's the first part you mentioned, which was um the first part you mentioned about acceptance. Um and you also mentioned it about, you know, the therapy. And what you'll find, just linking back to the last point I made, is that what you find is that as a generation, we are very consumed with being occupied, right? And, you know, the thoughts you had prior to the therapy were always there. You just didn't want to feel them because you, or either you didn't want to or you couldn't because you were, because you were preoccupied, you know? It's, um, it's like having a, um, a constant form of doing without the space to reflecting. And I feel like through reflection, you find truth. So your truth is, is, is in you stopping and asking yourself, how do I feel? And wondering um, what's wrong, right? The answer was always there. The pool was there, but it's just you stopping, not going out that Friday, not talking to that buddy, not guessing around the subject, but just between you and you, right? And that's a key thing I talk about in the book. The relationship is, I mean, the reason I say become your own hero again, because we already have the ability, we already have the awareness of who we are and what we're capable of. We just mask it with all these things that are sold to us over time. And the layers of what's sold to us goes from uh, group experiences in school to work groups, to social environments, to uh, to women and men and sexual preferences. It just becomes layered upon layer. And the reason I use the word again is because our goal is to go back to who we are and the truth of who we are because yeah. it's as freeing as possible to be who you are. And the ability to be true to you is the ability to live. Because essentially, as as everyone comes to see, this isn't even a question of 
whether or not you can get away with it. At some point, being somebody else catches up with you. So the reality is whether or not you want to wait for the reality to catch up or whether or not if you want to take the brave step of looking into yourself and really understanding how you feel about the activities you occupy yourself with. Um, and, and that comes from not only just being self-accountable, but in reality, I always say in my head that what I do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday this week is not for this week. It's for two weeks from now. And what I don't do on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday this week won't affect this week, but it affects the, the, the Tuesday and two weeks from now. And that's the reality of our actions. It's when we realize that the immediate things we do aren't affecting our immediate day because at that moment you're happy, it's great. Whatever mm. it is you're doing makes sense. But it's day one of, you know, the day one of the day after that it affects the day after that. And then sometimes it can take such a rippling effect on your, your love, your marriage, your company, it could happen, you know, it can affect anything. And the risk that people take is, um, is, is incredible when it's not true to you. Because if you're true to you, um, I feel like you have the ability to adjust. The worst psychosis to have is to know that you get involved or you're doing something out of context to who you are while being aware that's not who you are. Do you think it's the most difficult thing to be your true self? Um, I think and it's... How the... many, sorry, Tinder, how many people do you genuinely think? And let's just use the millennial generation because mm. it's the one we're all in. How many of those people do you genuinely think are, the, are their true selves? Let's say about 99% aren't. Aren't. And the reality is, is 99% will go through traumatic experiences because of that. And I think the proof, I mean, anyone we idolize, I mean, it's, it's if you just look a bit deeper from the Justin Biebers to the football player, everyone has a moment of adversity. And normally it's because they're taking on mass and that's more. If the beautiful thing that I learned when I was coming up, especially with Michael Wopp as a blog, is that we specialized in sharing the journey of a come up and not just the glorious he's there, but what they really went through. And you realize that what you go through defines you. But if you can prevent yourself from going through that, for example, I read that when Mike Tyson made, you know, 300 million, he was barbaric, you know, and, he, and I learned that you can blow 300 million because I didn't know that. I didn't know that someone could do that. Now, if I have a million, how, who am I to tell myself that that can't be blown, right? So you realize that, okay, through context of experience and really looking at who we idolize in a, on, a deeper con on a deeper level, the YouTuber, the personality, the person on Instagram, one of those posts, if you look deep, deep enough, will be talking about mental health issues that they, that they, that they go through, the, the identity issues that they encounter. I said it to a friend of mine that does music, he's really big, he's called uh, Dax. Uh, he was on my podcast and he, I was talking about the, the overwhelming element of people not understanding what's on the other side of the success, the responsibility, the um, anxiety that comes with it, the constant positives. You know, you're going to get more positives, but you also get more negatives. And I'm sure for any of us that sit here and get one bad comment, we'll probably delete it. But what happens when it happens every 10 seconds? But for every 10 bad comments, there's 30 good ones. But you still see the 10 bad ones. Yeah. We see the one bad one. <laughs> you know, so it's almost about understanding, it's really about understanding when you're true to you, you can survive the good and the bad. When you're not true to you, it's hard to survive the bad. And when it's good, you don't even know because you're not yeah. sure if it was you. So I think for the, for the millennial uh, space that we're in right now, um, if I'm honest with you, and this is me being really honest just from my analysis of, of Instagram and just from what I put up, because I try to, I pride myself in trying to be as vulnerable as possible on my Instagram and not giving the same context, right? Um, but I think what I've learned, even from 
you know, the influencer girl that looks like life is great and the person that jumps on yachts and has cars is that uh, everyone on there is really seeking new information. I mean, it's not on the forefront of their image, but if they're given the chance to learn something new, they're all trying to. And I think that's the only uh, misconception of um, Instagram is that people have complete, they're complete, that everyone's just, they're happy with themselves. You know, and that's, that can be quite a disturbing view of having because then you believe that they've got it figured out and you need to get to that space. Not, not, not realizing that everybody on there is on a constant pursuit of discovery yeah. at different levels. And that to me uh, reinforces that it's important for people to change their view on what they think and where they think others are at based on materialistic things, based on you know, an image, you know, which could could or couldn't be reposted. It could or could be fun. You know, I've had people that I've seen online that post their whole wedding and it's celebrity, two celebrities, it's great. And when they break up, they post about how it was all a, it was all a sham and they were not happy. You know, but how many other people bought into that message mm. and felt bad about their situation or felt bad about their girlfriend that maybe coming to them to their house, but not on that in that bikini in Mykonos, you know, because we're buying into the story as opposed to the reality of what really makes us happy and how much of what we see. I mean, me personally, I love a picture of the beach, but after two minutes, I'm bored. I'm like, get me shade, <laughs> got yeah. a photo, I'm bored, give me some water. So um, it's also just breaking it down and not taking it too serious. And that's yeah. why disconnecting makes you realize it doesn't really change your life. Unless you're selling a product for someone to actually purchase directly, Generally speaking, it doesn't really have a, a knock-on effect on your direct life unless you just want to be popular. But outside of that, your life is always going to be an action of the actions you take. The decision you make when you put your phone down, you walk out your door, where are you going? Decision you make when you pick up your phone, who are you calling? Decision you make to uh, when you're going to meet a bunch of friends, who are they? Those are the things that, those immediate steps are really what are going to shape your life. No matter how much you sell the perception, what you actually do. That decision, exactly. That, yeah. And I feel like, and I'll only use m m my personal story because it's, it's live and it gives context to the question. I feel like I have probably in the best mental mind state I've ever been in. Mm. Clarity of thought, who I am, what I want to do, where I want to go. And I suppose the one thing that scares me a little bit is consistency. And mm. like, will I fall back into some of the self-sabotaging things I used to do? Will I fall back into needing to be accepted by the wrong people so I do the wrong things. Is there a, a way you found over the years where you've been able to, because as you just said there, it's who you ring, who you hang out with. Mm -hmm. That decision has an action. And like my fear is, can I be consistent with where I'm trying to go to by blocking out those bad decisions? A hundred percent. Two ways. One is um, redefining and this is obviously called cognetic, but redefining the way in which you perceive um, gratification or so and so happiness, but committing more to where you're heading towards. You know, sometimes people say, I haven't got time to, because, right? Now, the question is, is, is the because for you or is the because you have to, right? Now, is I can't, I can't go out on Friday because I have this job. 
Or is it, I can't go on Friday because I paid for a trainer who sees me on Saturday. You have to start putting things on the line that you will directly lose in order to really see not only the, the shift, but also to see the commitment that you make and the, what you stand to lose. The more you leave open, the reality of the, the outcome in your mind will always be one day recovery. It would always be, you know, I can get back on, on my feet. But it's a whole other thing when you invest in committing more and more financially into what you're saying you want to become. Because there's a real life, like I said, the action will happen in your life, not based on what you think, but what really affects you. And when you go into your financial situation, when you go into another, another alternative questioning why you did something, you put yourself more and more in it to the point that a month goes by, to the point that two months goes by. And before you know it, because you've committed to these things, time has gone by and that's all you know. There was a study, I, look, the people have a bigger fear of losing 20 pounds than they do of the hope of making 100. Exactly. So my therapy is on Saturday morning at 9 a.m. See. And I spend 140 pounds for that hour. Yeah, see. So it, so, it, so it is about investing more in the direction yeah. with, the, with the consequence of loss in an alternative. I think you know. maybe people love the idea of getting to this place of happiness, fulfillment, goals, that their values, but they forget probably the one core ingredient that's needed in anything in life, which is commitment, 100%. hard work, whatever you want to describe it as. Because mm. like you said, it's, there's, two, the, the, there's two real driving factors in life, gain and fear of loss. Um, but fear of loss is, is, is way more personal when it, affects, when it affects us directly. And the only way to truly commit into the person you're saying is to commit. It's not to say, it's not to have the idea, it's not even to just write it, but it's to commit. You know, these goals that I talk about, I'm not saying you just write them down and work towards it. Commit. Whether it's that, uh, that, that new budget for the shopping you're gonna buy, whether it's, and it's going to be, it has to be uncomfortable. It's going to be uncomfortable because these commitments, these behaviors are not what you usually spend your money on, yeah. right? <laughs> so so it might, for you to spend 140, in this context, might be like, this is crazy. But we spend 140 on a Friday night. It's like, oh, whatever. At least it wasn't free. You know, <laughs> it's like, so, yeah, exactly. So it's all in context mm. to uh, the belief you have on value and where it should be, where it should head towards. So for me, one of the key things that I've always done is I've always had a personal trainer. It, 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 it commits me. It puts me in a place where it doesn't make sense financially, but it prevents me from doing 99% of the things I could do with the extra free time. And it negates when, because what happens is when you actually invest in good, you become better. And then there's also the fear of the money loss, but also the better you've become, right? Because when you start seeing the six pack appear, mm. you don't want to lose that. You've seen it and people start complimenting. Oh, you look good, your body looks. And before you know, you're like, I did this to stop me from doing that, but now I want to do this to keep people saying that. So you're actually repositioning your, the, the view of why you did it. And that's why I say, so it's, it's about the belief of what you see is good and also the commitment, which, uh, hold you into the act of becoming who you want to become. And I think that's one of the hardest things that people fail to do, to let go and commit to that person. I think also a point on, and we actually touched it in a, a previous podcast, um, which was on health. And it was like, it's okay that you're going to mess up. Like 100%. if you're giving up alcohol and two months in, or you're giving up cigarettes and you, you smoke a pack one day, or you go and you get drunk. You're human. You're mm -hmm. going to make a mistake. I think mm -hmm. people feel when they make that one mistake that it's over. Mm -hmm. And like, I think 
one of the things that is worried in my mind is like I'm going to a, a festival this Saturday mm-hmm. and who's a friend who's who owns it and like I'm going to support but it's a lot of the bad influences that are were around me previously and yeah. I'm a tad bit nervous yeah but I, like is it just understanding that that's it's okay natural. to mess up but I think what it becomes is like outside of this festival happening on Saturday it becomes learning moderation you know, we as human beings, we only do what we think we can get away with, right? So the context of me talking about, for example, a trainer, that doesn't mean I can't drink, but could I have my training session the next day after having five drinks? No. Could I have it maybe after having one drink? Yes. Will I try to do three drinks? Yes, and I'll suffer the consequence, and then I'll remember I can only do two now. So these commitments you want to create for yourself are going to enable you to structure moderation that you can get away with, but at a limit which doesn't sabotage you. But the reality is, is that if your sabotage is only going to be ramification of you getting away with it for that one day, and that's the only consequence of it, then you put yourself in a loop where you can always get away with it. And as I said, human beings, but our, our minds are so, you know, we have memory in, in our thighs. You know, our, when nuclear cells never disappear. They, they literally exist in our neural system for years. So these, these shifts and these fears, realistically speaking, are not for us to question in the sense of, can I do anymore? But it's about understanding that it is an action. But how much can I do? Because when you take the pressure off, I need to cut everything, then eventually you may naturally come to that place. But if you don't naturally come to it, you have to understand that what you can't do is everything you want to do. Yeah. The difference between restraining yourself and penalizing yourself is such a fine line because you never want to get to a, to a state where you're scared of the thing. It's kind of what you said in your quote. Mm. You know, I, I own it by having it. And saying I can have two, and I'm owning them, I'm going to have two, as opposed to me saying I don't do it, but I know I want it, and I'm fighting myself from having it. What one would you prefer to have the context and control over? Mm. Yes, you have two. It's not, it's not having none, but you said it's going to be two, and that was what it was, right? As opposed to I'm not touching alcohol, but every day I battle with it, and I don't know if one day I just need loads because I miss it so much. You know, that's the reality. Snapbacks are serious things. Relapses are serious things. Mm. So I think people that just push themselves out of it without having a consideration of the support that they potentially need in order to do so, um, need to redefine the way in which they position alcohol and and, and what it means to them. It might be, as you said, it's the it's the decision. So who who are you going out to the pub with? Is it like, a, a calmer friend who you'll have a glass of wine with and you know you'll go home or is it with a group of guys who you might yeah i mean i mean but that, but then that still negates I, I don't think it's about because okay. i go out with friends that will do cocaine right but it's also the context of what you said a great thing you said let me ask you this question and I, I do this all the time and i don't do drugs right but i always find it uncomfortable if i'm around or in an environment of people doing drugs and the last thing i ever want anyone to feel is that like they're doing something wrong yeah so the way that the way they perceive me is based on how I told them to, not the opposite of what you said of what they think you think you should be. So if I'm in this environment where people are doing drugs and I say to somebody and I hit the human core, I, I can't do that. I've just recovered from it. I've been on recovery. As a human being, it's wrong for him to negate me telling him in a serious tone that I'm on a trip to recovery without him feeling negative about what he's doing, because he hasn't got to that state. So he's not going to even acknowledge it. He's going to be like, okay, well, you're there. But how many, how do you communicate your recovery or your situation 
to the people that are doing the extremes. And if they're your friends and they really are concerned for you and you're genuine in the sense of, like you said, being real with yourself of where you're at and what you've been up to, they may still carry on and do the drinks and the drugs, but they will also advise you to say, stop as well. And that's what friends are for. You're supposed to be able to be open with them as to where you're at. I think that's when people that's forget there's, there's a level of responsibility that you have to own that's to success. get to the place that you want to get to. That's success. Doing things you don't want to do, like yeah. you love it. Love my, my yeah. is that is success. You, you obviously did a lot with the words of wisdom and it really like hit chords with a lot of people. In your own experience, and or maybe just from studying lots of, of successful people, why do you think it is that then your chapter in the book says rock bottom? From your view, why do you think people have to hit rock bottom to make true change? Because rock bottom is connected to your core self. It's outside of the brand of who you are. It's something that with or without the brand you feel. And in order for you to get through it, you have to move forward. There's nowhere else to go, rock bottom, right? Unless you die, and unfortunately, we can't die because we say in our mind, it's time to die. Unless we do our table life, which touch with no one ever does. But rock bottom is a definitive moment because it is a space in which it's a grace period for us to accept the flaws. And that's what people misunderstand. It's not a definitive state. It's a place in which we can accept where we're at and then build upon it. You know, before rock bottom is in denial. Mm. People are just, you know, it's fine. Oh, that's just, that's going to work itself out. But rock bottom is the state in which you're like, no, it's not fine. And this is what it is. Now, highlight everything it is. This is what I'm going to do differently moving forward. So I feel like rock bottom is a state in which we, we, we go beyond the, the level of denial and we actually go to the root that this is affecting me. I can lose my house. I can lose my partner. I can lose this business. I can, you know, this, this theory I've had in my head is going to actually hit my reality, mm. right? Yeah. And that's what I think is beautiful about the grace bit of rock bottom because it, and the art of life is getting as quick as possible to the truth as opposed to the in denial. And some people can be in denial for years. You know, people have kids and say they haven't had kids for years. And then one day the kids walk up to them and say, you're my dad, and then they own it, you know? But when reality hits them, you know? And, you but know, they say to truly find yourself, you have to truly lose yourself. A hundred percent. The book was amazing. I thought it was incredible. And it's probably going to be difficult to do this and how to go through everything. I definitely advise anyone <clears throat> To go pick it up, but if you were to summarize, and I've asked previous um, guests, because it is called the power of hindsight, so in hindsight, I wish I knew, right? So we speak to individuals who've hit a certain level of success or have gone through failures, and they can pass on pieces of knowledge to younger people, not even younger people, but just people in general who haven't achieved what they feel is like success. If there's three pieces of knowledge you want to pass on to, say, your younger self, or someone who's just not Life isn't going too great right now. What are those three pieces? Why? The first piece is trusting the process. Um, one of the things that I probably wasted a lot of energy on was the idea of it happening happening in the time in which I wanted to. You know, my my story in the book is about the. Filipino experience, but in the experience, my timing was in line with becoming a multimillionaire, right? Little did I know that 10 years from now, it would be a defining story in my first book. So we don't know why we're going for it, we're going for it. And it's not for us to beat ourselves up on the way. We have to learn to trust it 
and do as much as possible to stay as positive about the situation as opposed to letting it burn us out. So I definitely think one of the key things for me is trusting the process. Um, the other thing is don't believe the status quo. Don't believe that the other person knows or has anything or or based on an industry that you haven't got experience and you can't step into it based on um, their gender or your sexual preference that you have a limitation or your race you have a limitation. I believe that reality of, of any great uh, person is realizing that collaboration is the key to life. Um, I myself to, till today don't know how to use Photoshop. I don't know how to use videography and videos. I don't know how to use um, many of the tools which I present to the world, but I'm great at bringing people together um, and, and working on a vision and putting it out there. So for me, uh, becoming a tech entrepreneur, becoming an author, setting up a fashion brand um, is proof that it's not about experience, qualifications, or even the know-how, but it's about having a vision, uh, being open to collaborating and bringing people together because you might be the light that will make someone that wouldn't have done something do it simply because you have the vision. And, you know, vision is, is, is a value. There's value in vision. And I think that's what I definitely uh, would, would say to anyone, understanding that their vision is the value proposition. It's not the skill or the ability of no. um, And then the third thing would be... Um, listen to yourself. You know, um, I think a lot of the time we get swayed by what we see based on what we think we're at, or what someone else has, or just going against what we know is good or bad for us. Um, but I think it's really about trusting that we have your own back. It's almost like when you have a cold, your body, with or without your awareness, is fighting to help you, right? And what what would it what good would it do if you put ice in your body when you have a cold? In, in that, you know make it harder for it to recover. And that's the same just for your internal dialogue, your subconscious. It's like you listen to it and, and try to do as much as possible to follow through with it because it is trying to help you. Where can people find you? Um, I'm on um, Instagram, um, Leonard Sekionda. I'm on my camera, if you search Leonard Sekionda. I'm on YouTube, if you search Leonard Sekionda, I have LeonardSekionda.com. I also have an academy, which is more about teachings I talk about from the Golson and Affirmations, which is academyheroes.com. Um, and on that is a community where we do one-on-one coaching, we do live webinars, and we really just come into the, 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 the concepts and the philosophies I spoke about. Um, and I'm online uh, pretty much all the time, so I shouldn't be one too far from a click away from the other second on the web, we put it. So, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Listen, I really appreciate the time, I think. You know, it's going to be hugely valuable to a lot of people out there. And thank you for just being you and, and doing everything you are and putting out the content.